0: You're tuned in to 8 Spock Stories, a product of 8 Spock Media brought to you by Zinoran and our good friends over at Future Designs Incorporated. Tonight's story, read by the estimable Todd Waits, is given to us courtesy of Breaking Rules Publishing, where it was originally published in the First Degree Anthology, available now on Amazon and on the Breaking Rules Publishing website. Tonight's tumultuous tale tantalizes with questions of grave moral implications as our protagonist prepares for an important exam and ponders what it means for justice to be served. And now. Time for our story. Hall of Justice. Written by Sean J. Nigro. Narrated by Todd Waits I'm walking down an infinite hallway. Everything is white, except for these silver lines that stretch horizontally into the distance. The lines are spaced equidistant, and they line the hall from the ceiling down to the floor. I do not know their function, unless if only to reaffirm the existence of flat surfaces of the hallway itself. All the lines, spliced so assertively through endless sheets of blinding white, seem to concur and collide somewhere in the distance. I know they have to, inevitably, since this is a hallway, and that must, logically, only mean in between. It has to lead somewhere. I'm shaken awake violently by my roommate. You're gonna be late. He lays off. Settling into a computer chair, he had obviously made his home for the night. The hologram floating above his cube is incessant with the language of programming. Actually, upon closer inspection, I can see that there are multiple code languages entangling the space above his desk like floating future hieroglyphs. The letters fade suddenly in the glare of an onslaught of light. Amy has entered the room. And I'm awake. As I rubbed my eyes, the dream finally receding to irrelevance, Amy plopped onto the bed next to me. "'Training for janitorial position now?' she teased, crossing her legs and eyeing the floating hieroglyphs above John's desk. She had her hands on her knees and seemed at once interested in everything the room had to offer. Typical Amy. Funny. No, I must have overslept. What time is it? Without moving... Almost mechanically, John said, One. Shit. Exams were already 30 minutes in the making. I pondered my options quickly. I guess Miss Allody won't make a huge deal out of it, I stated, more asking. Maybe not, John said flatly again. Whatever the code, he was blatantly intent on finishing it. His determination was making me self-conscious. Damn it. You're quite the dictionary today, Amy teased again. I rubbed my eyes once more and looked up at her. Don't you have somewhere to be or something? And she did, actually. I recalled an important meeting she had mentioned earlier in the week. Cancelled? Turns out there's this flu going around? Hey, maybe Ality's got it. Maybe you're off the hook. Before I could reply, John chimed in. No, the exam started 34 minutes ago. I got a bleep. You're still getting bleeps from Miss classes? And wait, why didn't you wake me up earlier? Yes, I'm still getting bleeps. And because I'm not your alarm clock made. Silence. Amy added hopefully, Well, hey, let's go to the atrium. It's gelato discount. I thought that I probably odor one after the past couple weeks. I had been buried in concepts and equations non-stop, with only intermittent bathroom breaks and some necessary excursions to the nearest working noodle machine. Actually, the workload was not atypical. There was something else that had been eating at me. I was anxious about an upcoming exam when I knew I shouldn't be. I didn't know how to tell anyone, let alone Amy, because exams were commonplace. To anyone else, I was overthinking it. But there was something about this one in particular that I couldn't wrap my head around. The nerves would not abate. I remember the hallway. It is as clear as day. The white walls are as blinding as ever. The silver lines even more infinite than before. I can feel them around me. It is like they line the inside of my skull, around and around. They have no end. They exist to remind me that the blinding white is not without its limits. Our conversations were always guaranteed to be so wonderfully sporadic. Her, with her sociological perspective, her major after all, me, with my criminal justice focus. We'd go back and forth into eternity if time permitted. At present, we were caught up in a debate over the nature of good and evil. Well, why does it have to be either? Because without that dichotomy, there would be no real balance. We'd be all over the place without structure or anything really to aspire to. I mean, I don't aspire to any particular good. The things I do aspire to happen to be good according to the rest of the world. But I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be good today. I don't think people necessarily need to think of that. They just are. Amy wiped her lips with a napkin she had been holding and held out the gelato dish clumsily in her left hand. I was half conscious of the tension her loose grip on the treat was causing me, anticipating its escape with gravity to an entirely unsuspecting surface of the table below. "'You and I, and everyone around us,' I said, gesturing to an otherwise empty atrium. "'Are naturally good at heart? That's what you believe?' "'Well, yeah.' what would make you believe otherwise? Rape, murder, theft, slavery, all those things that people have done and continue to do, and even just the fact that the words exist to describe such atrocious acts, there were bad people all around us. I mean, I want to believe we are all angelic and loving at heart, but I think some people are just born different. But if it's what you say about a dichotomy then that's just a necessary part of life, right? Why, yes, I certainly suppose so. We both paused a moment and then simultaneously burst into laughter. Calm down, Sherlock, she laughed. I smiled at this, happy to hear her laugh at all. Anyway, what was I saying? Good things, bad people. Right, right, I paused again. I completely lost my train of thought. We both took a spoonful of our gelato as a brief silence ensued. So, how do we know if we're good or evil? Like, for sure, I pondered. You mean, assuming there's an option? Yeah, I laughed a little uneasy now. The only logical way would be to, well, to test your reaction to these so-called evil things, right? She chewed on her spoon as she pondered this, bouncing slightly giddy. I guess so. I'm not really sure I know what you mean by testing it, though. I know I'm good. I don't need a lie detector test, though that would be interesting. Those things are rubbish anyway, though I've heard a couple of companies working on newer models applying results from recent studies. And so the conversation went. The next day, I woke on time. I attended all my minor exams, Relieved to find that I had not been suspended for missing Miss Ality's exam, and I ate dinner alone, courtesy of the nearest working noodle machine. I didn't hear from Amy, but I knew that she had some exams herself coming up, and some sort of end-of-the-semester project that she was pretty nervous about. John came into the room once to retrieve batteries for his cube, but other than that, I was completely alone. I preferred it this way. I was still anxious about my upcoming exam. It was, like Amy's project, a nerve-wracking ordeal and a pretty crucial cog in my criminal justice curriculum. But as the night wore on and noodle-induced stomach pains began to subside, my anxiety started to wither a little. I was not the first student at the university to take this exam, not by a long shot, and I would not be the last. From the number of successful justice graduates in the world, I could only logically conclude that those who had come before me had gotten through with the exam and had gone on to live exceedingly happy and productive lives. Exam jitters. That's all they were. And so, finally, I allowed myself to doze off with a final comforting image of Amy, smiling, lulling me into a deep sleep. And of a melting gelato dish teetering on the precipice amidst the casual and clumsy grip of playfully naive fingertips. A day passed. Then suddenly, it was exam day. I walked into a room not unlike the many other campus classrooms I had been in over the years. It was just as plain and ordinary as all the other rooms, though noticeably lacking a certain stench I had grown used to within the ancient walls of the university. I recognized the kid at the front desk, though he didn't seem to remember me. He had a shaggy haircut and an unkempt stoner style about him that seemed reminiscent of many of the other freshmen I had noticed moving onto campus that year. Basically, he had an I-don't-actually-give-a-shit look plastered across his face. The kid handed me a questionnaire, which I knew would be the easiest part of my exam, I finished the questionnaire confident in my answers and handed it back to the kid. I was then moved into a room further back, just as plain as the questionnaire room. The instructor here was unfamiliar to me. He had a military buzz cut and what I could only register as a bulletproof vest, which, admittedly, got my heart rate up a little. Good luck, he said bluntly, his voice scraping through the air like the sound of crunching gravel. He opened a door and stepped out of the way to let me pass. When I stepped through the doorway into a foreboding darkness, the door was closed and locked tightly behind me. A light came on suddenly and illuminated a blinding white hallway before me. I'm walking down an infinite hallway. Everything is white except for these silver lines that stretch horizontally into the distance. The lines are spaced equidistant, and they line the hall from the ceiling down to the floor. I do not know their function, unless if only to reaffirm the existence of flat surfaces of the hallway itself. All the lines, spliced so assertively through endless sheets of blinding white, seem to concur and collide somewhere in the distance. I know they have to, inevitably, since this is a hallway... And that must, logically, only mean in between. It has to lead somewhere. And then, I'm there. A door that had previously been disguised by an apparent wall at the end of this hallway slid open, revealing one last dark room. Before I stepped out of the silver-lined hall, a small waist-high section of wall slid open on my right revealing a perfectly polished projectile device. I took the gun. Once I was in the darkness of the new room, the door slid shut behind me, closing me off from the blinding white of the hallway. I was at first certain that I was alone, but a nervous whimpering suddenly sounded before me. This was it. Whoever this person was, their crimes had been deemed inexcusable. A jury had come down hard with a verdict of guilt, and justice had prevailed in the highest courts. A mallet had come down harder, and a suitable sentence had been administered. An aspiring student of justice was an acceptable conduit through which justice itself could be served. Two birds with one stone, a professor once told me in my sophomore year. Justice is served, and an arbiter of justice gets his wings." I held the gun out before me, gripping it tightly, though with palms beginning to sweat. A fleeting thought of the clumsily held gelato crossed my mind and forced a smile across my face. I know I'm good, I remembered Amy beaming with confidence. That was the sort of confidence I wish I had. The confidence to deliver justice with absolute piety. To know I'm good. My finger began to tighten around the grip of the gun, almost of its own volition, as if my fingers had been more eager than my conscience to deliver that final blow. The whimpering grew louder in front of me. This was pass or fail. I could do this, in the name of justice. They say to count to three. If by three you haven't pulled the trigger, then you won't ever pull the trigger. And in that case, you might want to consider a different career path. Many before me had passed. Many, I knew, had also failed. But life went on regardless. A simple test. That's all this was. As my confidence bubbled with the converging recollections of all my lessons, I had one last realization that this is what I was born to do. Justice was my passion. The law was sacred. And I knew finally, that I could pass this test. A pulse of decision shot through my body, destined for my trigger finger. And in that instant, when this pulse had become irretrievable, a switch was thrown somewhere and the room was illuminated, revealing this disgusting offender of justice. A young woman, a familiar face, a helpless expression of fear in her eyes, erasing the smile from my own face. But the decision had been made. That precipice crossed. Gelato tipped. The exam passed. Justice served. And now I know I'm good. Or at least I think I do.